friends, welcome to All the Right Ingredients. This is the podcast for people who love to cook and entertain. I'm your host, Molly Fowler, the Dining Diva. And you know, for all of us who have a passion for cooking, we always like to know those little extra tidbits, the fun things that can up our culinary game, can make us a little bit better, a little smarter, a little sharper in the kitchen, and ways to give you some of that tantalizing information that you can toss out at the cocktail party to be the person in the know. So we've got all kinds of great information here. We talk about it all, everything from appetizer to dessert, music to menu, and everything in between. We always want to talk about the latest in cooking techniques, gadgets, wine, cocktails to have at your party, uh, specialized ingredients, all kinds of things that will make your cooking and entertaining just that little bit better. So that's what we have, all the right ingredients right here. And today, oh my gosh, you're going to be so excited. This is such a great guest. I'm so thrilled to have Julie Schreiber on as my guest. I was looking for a mushroom expert because I absolutely adore mushrooms and have been amazed at the mushrooms that are currently available at the grocery stores that we see at the farmers markets. We're getting more and more opportunity to have a beautiful array of mushrooms that we may not be familiar with or have only read about in uh, the gourmet magazines and specialized publications. And all of a sudden here we have them, but what do we do with them? And I know personally, I've gone, I've looked, I've clutched my chest at the price of some of these and have resisted buying some because I really didn't know how to prepare them, how best to use them when I got home. And um, so Julie is going to debunk all of that for us and she's going to set us on the right path. So I found her by going to the North American Mycological Association and she is the culinary committee chair for them. And so I thought certainly she would not only know mushrooms, but she might know a little bit more. Well, then I got her resume. She checks, I mean, if I could have picked a guest, if I could have written what I wanted, Julie's name would have come up. She is not only a expert in mushrooms, she has been collecting, cooking, and eating mushrooms for around 30 years. She's been teaching others about eating mushrooms and cooking them. Um, she is. She has a degree in hotel, restaurant, and travel administration. She's a trained chef with a degree from the culinary arts from the Culinary Institute of America. She has a master's degree in enology from the University of California at Davis. So she is winemaker, wine consultant, trained chef, and mushroom expert. Who could ask for more? So I am so delighted that Julie is here so that we can talk about some of these mushrooms that we're seeing now, what to do with them, how best to cook with them, how to store them, and she's got some tips that will absolutely blow your mind. So without further ado, we're going to take a quick little break for a little commercial here, and I'll come back and introduce you to the woman in the know, Julie Schreiber. So sit tight. We'll be right back. You know, in all my years of teaching cooking classes, a few concerns about entertaining keep resurfacing. People are reluctant to entertain because they become bogged down with planning the menu and the need for all recipes to be ready at the same time. 
They wonder how to be with their guests instead of being tied to the kitchen for most of the evening. Sound familiar? I've got the solution for you and it's easy and inexpensive. My book, The Dining Diva Presents Menus for Entertaining, gives you well-tested recipes and timelines for advanced preparation that will allow you to be a guest at your own party. We also include a shopping list for each menu. It's available on Amazon as a Kindle book for only $9.99. Download yours today. You'll be entertaining with ease in no time. And we're back. <laughs> hey, Julie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so happy to have you here and hope things are well for you out in Sonoma County, California. It's been a great day here, actually. It's quite nice. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So how did you get into this love of mushrooms becoming a mushroom expert? Well, I actually, uh, I moved from the East Coast after I graduated from culinary school and I moved to uh, Mendocino County and I worked at Cafe Beaujolais in the town of Mendocino and um, I was working there and we were buying mushrooms from the back door of the restaurant. And um, so my chef said, you should um, know what it is you're buying. So I took a class at the College of the Redwoods, which is in Fort Bragg, which is the next town north. And with, uh, sorry, I'm out of breath. I ran up the, up the stairs. <laughs> uh, so uh, Teresa Schollers taught the class and it was uh, really eye-opening on being able to identify mushrooms and the fact that there's, it's a whole kingdom. So uh, that was really eye-opening and I've really loved just walking into the woods and that first step in it's um, the Japanese call it uh, forest bathing. Yes. Really good for your health. <laughs> so uh, it's really kind of just being in the woods feels great. Um, finding the mushrooms is sort of a bonus, but uh, after that I knew uh, a lot more about mushrooms, but I also was able to cook with them at the restaurant that I worked at. So that was really great. And um, ever since then, I've been um, a member of several different mycological associations and I've been uh, cooking and eating them for years. And I just, um, you know, I still love them. <laughs> and then, you know, there are times in my life where I got laid off or whatever. And I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go in the woods. <laughs> Mushrooms have always been my friend. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, we are in the, the woods of Western North Carolina, and I know there are a lot of people who find mushrooms around here, too. And, and actually, my home, we are right in the middle of the woods, and I totally understand that oh, feel when you get out in the air. feels so nice and smells so good, and it's yeah. just kind of kind of nice, peaceful, quiet. It's fabulous. I just need you here to show me if I have mushrooms around. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I could have them right under my feet and not know it. Who knows? It's true, because, uh, you know, I grew up in Colorado uh, for the first 13 years of my life, and we, I know we went into the mountains. My dad would go fishing, and I would be like, when's he coming back? <laughs> and I would be reading my book or whatever, being grouchy. And if I had just realized that they were right there because <laughs> uh, their high season for mushrooms in Colorado is like August. Uh, so 
in the summertime when they get the afternoon rains. There are mushrooms everywhere. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't see one. <laughs> so I know they're there. <laughs> Gripey with your book. <laughs> Typical teenager. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so oh, that's too funny. If I'd only known, I would have had a grand time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, woulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Mm-hmm. So, so help me and explain to to our listeners. I think so many of us don't really know that much about mushrooms. You know, I remember my mother's recipes that would call for a jar of mushrooms drained into a recipe, and I just remember that they had a very strange and kind of a slimy texture and a briny taste, but beyond that, they didn't offer much to the recipe. And then all of a sudden, once we had the button mushroom in the grocery store, fresh, that we found regularly available, that was great. And then, woo, did we hit tall cotton when we were getting cremini and portobello mushrooms, and we all thought, this is this is the be-all and end-all. And then we have the others that come on the scene, the shiitakes, the oyster mushrooms, the trumpets, the lion's mane, some of those. And, you know, now it's like, whoa, we've got so many and what do we do with them? So tell me about button mushrooms, cremini, and portobello. Well, the interesting thing is uh, those are actually all the same mushroom. Uh, the genus and species is Agaricus bisporus. And the difference between the, the white button mushroom and the cremini is age. So the, it's just the color. So they actually breed for that color. And then the portobello is the exact same mushroom. It's just older because as mushrooms grow, they get bigger and the cap gets flatter. It just happens to be age. So really, in fact, those three are exactly the same thing. I can kind of relate. I've kind of spread out and gotten <laughs> wider as I've gotten older, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're not alone. <laughs> so, well, that's reassuring. I'm a huge fan of uh, button mushrooms. I've been eating them my whole life. Uh, so I don't want you to feel like you have to feel bad because that's the mushroom you eat. In fact, they're delicious. So uh, I would highly recommend what I do is... Frequently, I feel like if I go to the farmer's market or go to the market and I buy a whole bunch of produce, if I just put it in the fridge, something's going to go bad in the back of the fridge because I always forget some item that I bought and spent all that money on. So what I try to do is is bring this stuff home and prepare it in some way right when I get home and then I have it available all week and it won't go bad. So for the button mushroom, I like to roast those in the oven and, uh, I roast them, and then while they're still hot, I toss them in a like a vinaigrette with sherry vinegar and olive oil, salt and pepper, and you can throw garlic and shallot and herbs or whatever in there. But then you let it kind of marinate in that, and then it tastes so good. You have it, you know, just take a few of those mushrooms out and put it on your plate with whatever you're eating later in the week. It's delicious. Um, the key is uh, when you're cooking mushrooms, uh, they give off a lot of liquid as they're cooking. So I roast them in the oven, having tossed them in a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper, and let that liquid come out and then let it evaporate. And then you keep cooking until the mushrooms start to caramelize or brown, which is a little bit hard to see in something that's already brown. (laughs) But uh, So allowing that liquid to evaporate makes a big difference. But then they just have so much more flavor than if you 
did them the way people have uh, in the past. They kind of undercooked them a little bit and they left all those li- that liquid or some people have seen this where they the liquid comes out and they throw that away. Don't throw that away. <laughs> There's a lot of flavor in that. Um, so just keep, even if you're going to slice them up and put them in a saute pan, same idea. Let all that liquid evaporate and then keep cooking them. And your your pan kind of gets almost, uh, it, with the button mushroom, it's almost like they get squeaky as all that yes. liquid goes away. Um, so in that case, if I'm going to have them and cook them for something, I don't know, like I, I would do maybe a bruschetta where you have mm-hmm. bread and you put the mushrooms on it. It's really good. Um, I like to put the mushrooms in a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper. And then at, right at the end, after all that liquid's evaporated and you've got that caramelization, add a little bit of butter. So I like butter as a flavoring rather than as something you cook in. Because butter is delicious. <laughs> uh, and those mushrooms are really good with butter. And then you could have that for a gravy or you could do that bruschetta, or you could put it on pizza, or you could do lots of things. But having them pre-cooked is really great. And uh, I think I mentioned to you on the phone the other day, sometimes I will cook all my mushrooms, either roasted or sauteed, and then I freeze them. And then when later, when you want to do risotto, or you want to do a tomato sauce, you want to do whatever, your mushrooms are already ready. You just thaw them. And then add them to whatever you're cooking. So you you basically cook them twice, um, but they do really well with that. So that that kamini or button mushroom is very easy to use, and everybody knows what it looks like, and it also tastes great in lots of different things. Oh, awesome! So when you're roasting that in the oven, what kind of temperature? I'm doing it roughly about 400 degrees. Okay. So it's pretty hot. Yeah. Right. Right. And just on a regular sheet pan. Uh, yeah, you know, I use the professional sheet pan, so they have this, mm-hmm. uh, that little bit of a lip because you have the liquid and you don't want your, <laughs> if you had one that, you know, didn't have this edges, um, you could end up with mushroom liquid all over the oven. <laughs> so keep that, keep that. In. <laughs> yeah. Don't want that caramelization on the bottom of the oven. Never good. Exactly. But it's hard to get that back. That's amazing. I just, I would have never thought of freezing mushrooms. Yeah. And and I've had so many times that I've gotten home with mushrooms and I, you know, had a plan and life happens, the plan changes, and then you end up with mushrooms that have kind of gone bad and gotten slick and nasty and out they go. So actually, uh, I know we're going to talk about it later, but that um, mushroom galette recipe that I've sent you, uh, what I did with it a week ago, I made this for some friends. But I, I roasted all the mushrooms and that basically made the entire filling. And then I chilled it down and did the galette the next day. But I had all the ingredients, the roasting was done, all the veggies were done, and uh, the cheese was grated. And, you know, so then you have all that prep the day before. And then when you want to assemble it, everything's the same temperature and it makes it a lot simpler. So you can definitely do that too. So if you were doing a stuffing at Thanksgiving or whatever, you can regularly, most mushrooms you can cook ahead and then just have them available in your fridge ready to use as well. So whether you want it for tomorrow versus, you know, I, I picked so many mushrooms, which would be nice. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I need to figure out what am I going to do to store them 
uh, I can freeze them. That's definitely one way to go. So uh, some mushrooms do really well with drying. Some mushrooms do really well with roasting or sauteing and freezing. It really depends on which mushroom you're working with, but the, they, they're pretty darn forgiving. <laughs> and, and we all love that. We all need a little yeah. forgiveness in our life. Exactly. So tell me one question I think so many people have because there's lots of different opinions and everybody's an expert when they give their opinion very authoritatively yes. about how to clean your mushrooms. Do you wash them? Do you brush them? Submerge in water or not? I understand. Like if you uh, read, everybody says, oh, don't get water on your mushrooms. It's really bad. And my thinking has always been, well, they grow in rain. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it bad to wash them? Um, so it's totally fine. What I do is basically if you've ever washed lettuce or spinach, it's basically the same idea where you have a big sink full of water or a big bowl full of water and you put your mushrooms in there and kind of toss them. And I'm using my hands to uh, as I've, I'm tossing it in the water to kind of get it in there. And, and we all know that. <laughs> get it back out. So it's not like it's hanging out in there. You want to, you know, let them get all the grit and whatever dirt off of them and then get them back out. So then look at your water. If your water is dirty, you should probably wash it again. So if you've ever had fresh spinach or lettuce or leeks, mm -hmm. you know, frequently they have a lot of dirt, right? Yes. Because they're picking them right out of the wherever they're grown and they put them in a package and then you get them home and they're covered in dirt. So you have to kind of assess for yourself. Sometimes I wash them three times. It really okay. depends on how, how dirty is your water. So uh, the button mushrooms tend to be pretty clean, uh, but mm -hmm. other types of mushrooms that you might buy, they may be dirtier than that. So in some cases, like um, the button mushroom frequently has a little bit of dirt right on the end of the stem. Mm -hmm. um, okay, cut that off. <laughs> right. So just kind of take a look and see. So sometimes I, you could use a brush. Sometimes you could use a knife to get that little bit of extra dirt off of it that the, the other cleaning didn't really do. But as far as the water, totally okay. So if you were uh, doing something where you were going to roast them anyway, now you've got maybe a little bit of extra liquid, but that's okay because you're already cooking them until all that liquid evaporates. If or doing it in a saute pan, same thing. Uh, I tend to do things in the oven because if you're doing three or five pounds, that's a big saute pan. Yes. <laughs> so it's just easier to me to do that first phase is uh, toss in a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, put them on your sheet pan and cook them in the oven. Uh, you can just do a larger quantity faster. It just makes oh, your life right. so much easier. Yeah. So uh, we can talk about specific types of mushrooms. There's a lot of kinds that might not be as great with that way, but most of the time they're totally fine. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll hit that list. All right. So one quick question. So if we are not as efficient as Julie Schreiber and we are not immediately coming home from the market and preparing them for the refrigerator so that we have them available and may need to store them for a day or so. What is the best way to store them? So uh, first thing I would say is plastic bags and mushrooms are not friends. <laughs> so get them out of that plastic bag and put them in a paper bag. Um, okay. Sometimes, you know, I've put mushrooms in a paper bag and then inside a plastic bag. 
but then I'm storing them for like two or three weeks. So okay. you can actually keep them fresh, but definitely get in there and inspect them every couple of days just because they, they can mold. Um, mm -hmm. Refrigerators are actually behave like a, a drying environment. They're pretty drying mm -hmm. in there. So mm -hmm. uh, usually you're pretty good, but it's good to inspect it because sometimes things get moldy. And uh, especially if you leave mushrooms just in a plastic bag, they get kind of um, slimy. <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. Because they, they actually, that moisture that's in the mushroom itself uh, doesn't have anywhere to breathe inside that plastic bag. So uh, some people actually use like a wax paper bag is okay. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy to find paper bags. So that's what I would recommend um, okay. for trying to store your mushrooms. If you got so lucky as to have uh, a white or black truffle, which is, would be nice, right? <laughs> if you had that, you can store those in, um, and this, you gain the aroma in other things by doing this, but you can store in rice or with eggs or with butter. All three of those things will take on the flavor of the truffle. So, oh, wow. and, it, and it's, but in a, in that case as well, truffles can go bad after roughly, I say about 10 days. But if you keep your eye on it, so then let's say you had a, a truffle. I think scrambled eggs with truffles is one of the best things ever. <laughs> so you already have the eggs sitting with the truffle and you have the butter sitting with the truffle. You can make truffle scrambled eggs really easily. So you oh, actually wow. use those eggs, use that butter, and then shave the truffle at the end, right at the end of cooking. And you've never eaten anything better. <laughs> okay. I, I can be at your house tomorrow. <laughs> I don't have truffles here. <laughs> oh, that sounds heavenly. Okay, yeah. so take, take us to the next one that I think so many of us are familiar with, mm -hmm. the shiitake mushroom. Talk to me about its flavor, texture, and what to do. I never eat the stems because they're really um, hard to eat. They kind okay. of have a, I don't know, it's it's more than, more than chewy. So. What I do is I'll cut those off or break those off and make, use them to make a broth. They work great for that. So um, in that sense, they're edible, but uh, I, I don't recommend eating the stems on the shiitake. Okay. It's got a flavor profile that it leans more towards Asian cooking. So, uh, and you can buy them fresh and you can buy them dried. I, you know, that there's a different flavor profile between the two, sometimes mm -hmm. the dried ones are actually better. So oh. what I like about doing a dried mushrooms is you make rehydrate them and then that liquid is your broth. Mm -hmm. So you can bake something rather than using chicken stock or um, any other kind of stock. You can actually use the mushroom water as your, your broth or your base for your gravy or whatever. Just gives you tons more flavor than just using water. Oh, um, so I highly recommend that. But uh, as far as the mushroom itself, it really lends towards Asian stuff. So using ginger, garlic, scallions, soy sauce, mirin, whatever, all that stuff. Shiitake does really great with that. It doesn't taste that good with butter and cream. It's just not that kind of flavor profile. So um, there are lots of other mushrooms that taste great with uh, cream and butter, but shiitake is not one of them. So, for example, uh, 
Matsutake is a mushroom that's very popular out here. It grows in California, Washington State, and Oregon, and probably up into Canada. Um, and they actually sell a ton of it to Japan. So it's very popular. Um, that mushroom also doesn't taste good with cream and butter, but tastes great like on the grill, or sometimes people shave it really thin and they put it into rice. So they actually, it's perfumey. It's, it reminds most people of somewhere between cinnamon red hots and sweat socks. So it's kind of earthy, sweaty, spicy kind of a flavor, but it, it's really quite amazing in like, a, you can put it in a tin foil packet with some sake and roast it in the oven. And then when you open it up, it's like a, this blast of perfume. Or you can put it in uh, in the with the rice and the water while you're cooking your rice. Uh, really great. So uh, I've actually many many times taught a class where I used miso, chicken broth, cabbage, and matsutake mushrooms. And you literally shave the mushrooms really thin on like a mandolin and put it in that broth, and the whole broth takes on that kind of earthy, spicy kind of quality. And it's within seconds because you're shaving it so thin on that mandolin. So um, those are amazing. But again, there are certain mushrooms that just are more Asian in style. And then there are other mushrooms that are conducive for that creamy uh, butter thing. Yeah. So you really, you know, to educate yourself a little bit. And sometimes you're like, that really didn't work. <laughs> so then you're like, okay, that mushroom, look at some other way. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You don't know why it didn't work. Okay, so one of my personal favorites is the Hen of the Woods. Love Hen of the Woods mushrooms. So talk to me about that. We call it uh, maitake out here. So yes. actually, uh, you guys get it wild, and we only get it cultivated. So yours probably oh. tastes better. <laughs> but that mushroom, oh, I love that mushroom. It's so uh, delicious. I've had it so many different ways. So um, I have in trying to remember which cookbook I put it in. So I've, I've been, written a, a couple recipes that are in a couple of different cookbooks that uh, I gave you the, the names of. So one of them is called Modern Forager, and I have four different recipes in that book. And then um, the Fantastic Fungi Community Cookbook, which is related to the documentary that's on Netflix. I have a recipe in there, too. So the I made a pate with that mushroom, the the maitake or the hen of the woods, mm -hmm. and uh, wow, that's so good! <laughs> I highly recommend you go look that recipe up. But uh, so that one has uh, cider in it and cream, and uh, so you saute it all with some. I think there's some shallots and onions in there. I haven't made it in a couple couple months, and uh, and you puree it all in the food processor. And then you can slather it on, on you know, bread or whatever. It's so oh, that sounds, that sounds heavenly. I can't, I can't wait because I love that mushroom. So tell me this. With that, I used, I used to, when I did it, I would cut it like with a knife. Uh -huh. But then I, somebody I saw on TV on some cooking show was just pulling it apart, yes. just kind of shredding it. So is one method better than the other? If you look at it, I try to 
I call it the root end, but for you, mm -hmm. just the end that's um, attached to the tree. Um, I cut that part off um, just because it's usually uh, got a little bit of mycelium or dirt or mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. in the very end of it. The rest of it, I break apart. In fact, uh, chanterelles too behave a little bit like string cheese. <laughs> so they're, it's okay. really easy to break it yeah. apart in pieces. Uh, so it's really up to you whether you decide you want to cut it up with a knife or you want to just break it up. But when, as far as the maitake mushroom, I usually break it up with my hands because uh, there's the reason they call it hen of the woods, right? Because it looks like little little pens or little pieces. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's really easy to break apart. So yeah, it really depends on uh, what you're doing it for. So I know that um, there's a Japanese restaurant near me and they make a, uh, uh, shoot, they do, they deep fry it. So they dip it in batter and they fry it and you get like these beautiful shapes by leaving it in chunks oh, wow. rather than cutting it up. Like a, like a tempura. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> so they, they do a tempura and wow. So good. Yeah. Love oh, that. that mushroom. Sounds, oh, that sounds so very, It's a very versatile mushroom. So I, I actually, uh, saute it roast it, put it in a million different things. Love that mushroom. <laughs> oh, good, because I have been using it in, I love my butter and cream, so yeah. Sure, sure. That one's very good in, with butter. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> okay, so another one that, that I run into, lion's mane, uh, which I think is oh, so beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, so it is. the interesting thing about that mushroom is uh, some people use it as a crab substitute. So you, if you wanted to make a crab cake for somebody that doesn't eat seafood, that mushroom is the go-to, right? So you can saute that mushroom and do all the ingredients you do normally for a, for a crab cake and make it from there because it has a sweetness and a, it really reminds you a lot of that flavor profile of this of the seafood. Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, so interesting. <laughs> Very so interesting. I've, I've sauteed it just as it is, because I think it's yummy. I've um, made pasta where I did like a, uh, you want to put it in the pan and just don't touch it because you'll get that nice caramelization pretty quickly on, on the mushroom itself. And then maybe you flip it over to the other side and, and get the other side nice and browned. But then you could splash in some white wine and some shallots and toss it in pasta and have like a, almost like a crab pasta. So good. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to try that. Okay, thinking along those lines, uh -huh. lobster mushroom. Ah, so that one uh, is kind of fascinating in itself because uh, Rushula is a genus of mushroom. Uh, and then, so that's what's the lobster mushroom. And then it actually has another fungus growing on top of the mushroom. So it's, actually two mushrooms in one <laughs> so it's wow. actually a white mushroom that then has this reddish colored mushroom um on top of it is that amazing <laughs> it is very amazing yeah so does it does it get its um name from the color from yes. the flavor does from the it color yeah okay does it taste seafoody no i don't think so it's got, and it's got a nice bite to it. I think it's got a nice chew to it. 
Um, mm -hmm. But that one, uh, more likely you would be cutting it uh, for your cooking. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, they, again, they use it in things where they would use seafood, but that one in particular doesn't have really a seafoody flavor. It's more kind of earthy. Um, so you can cook. So with, how would you use it? So I'm, that's what I'm thinking is that you could probably also put that in into pasta or do a bruschetta or but that one also is really good with the cream and butter side of the of the cooking world. Um, okay. So, yeah. But it doesn't grow that much here, so I haven't picked a whole lot of it, but I have cooked a lot of rushula, which is the mushroom without the red on top of it, and uh, saute it up uh, in the pan so that you get that caramelization again. Mm -hmm. um, it has its own kind of sweetness to it that is quite tasty, but it just isn't quite all the way to that crab flavor you had in the lion's mane. It's more earthy than that, but okay. it's tasty in its own right. Yeah. Okay. Oyster mushrooms. Well, so we get those wild here, so I can mm -hmm. pick those wild or you can get them cultivated. So uh, just a, a little bit of background on um, the cultivation is, uh, so that if you had uh, porcini or chanterelles, or a number of other mushrooms, they have what we call a mycorrhizal association. So they have a relationship between trees and mushrooms. So the, the mycelium is what grows underground and the mushroom itself is like a fruit. So okay. typically what you see as, as the mushroom is actually the fruiting body. So it would be like picking a pear off a pear tree. The mycelium okay. under the ground is the actual mushroom. And mm -hmm. this is what we eat as the fruiting body. So um, I'm trying to remember what your question was. <laughs> Sorry. We were talking about oyster mushrooms. Oyster mushrooms, yes. Then there's another kind of mushroom where, so that, you know, like the porcini or the, the chanterelle, they're out on the soil. Then there's mm -hmm. another type of mushroom that actually grows on wood. So your hen of the woods and your oyster mushrooms they actually grow on the trees or on a log or that sort of thing. So if we were cultivating, um, the oyster mushroom is very commonly grown because it's pretty easy to grow. So some people will make uh, grow kits that you can get where mm -hmm. they're made of like straw or sawdust or, or logs, and then you could grow them at home. So then you could harvest them and cook them yourself. So take a look because there's, there's a, a lot of people around that sell those and you could, you could have a mushroom crit and grow them yourself. Um, so uh, those, what I like to do is roast them, but I like uh, them to get like a crispy edge. Mm -hmm. They're really great that way. Cause they, they just have so much flavor on the part that gets really caramelized. Um, so they're, I think those are really yummy, but I guess I would say I've put them in uh on a bruschetta, in pasta, in in a risotto, uh, sautéed with other mushrooms in eggs. I've done a, a lot of different ways. <laughs> but my favorite part is that because of the way they're shaped, they, yes. you can roast those and get that, toss them in a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper, get them a little bit browned and crispy. I think they're great. Oh, wonderful. I'll have to try that because I, I, haven't, I haven't done them that way. So tell me... Um, 
like the clamshell mushroom and the trumpet mushrooms? Are those are those kind of related? If you, uh, I think, you, do you have, I think they call it, uh, Gourmet Mushrooms is the name of the company here, but they have a second name, which is Mycopia. And I think they sell to you guys out east as well. But they uh, are a pretty big company that uh, started out here, and now they've expanded to different parts of the United States. So I think people can find them because they're the ones that have the like the little basket sometimes with like three, four, or five, six different types all in one little right. basket. Have you seen that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that they um, they sell the trumpet mushroom and the alba clamshell. So they have the alba clamshell and the trumpet are different species. But okay. um, the alba clamshell, they have white and brown color. Um, mm-hmm. So I like getting different colors of them because I just think they look nice together. Right, right. <laughs> but um, if I had those, um, I use them in that tart I made last week. Uh, but you could also, I really like roasting mushrooms and making a vinaigrette. And then, so I do that with those Alba clamshell uh, mushrooms. So I've roasted them in a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, and then they get a little bit of caramelization in there. And then while they're warm, I I have made a vinaigrette of some sort, toss them Mm -hmm. in that, and then they're really great tossed on a salad or something. So depending on the day, it could be like a French type of vinaigrette with Dijon mustard and oil and vinegar and shallots and herbs. Really great that way. Or you could do like an Asian style vinaigrette with the soy sauce and the ginger and all that stuff. Great that way too, with maybe like a rice wine vinegar instead. Yeah. With the trumpet mushroom, with that kind of thicker stem. Yeah. How how much... How much do you know to use? What all is edible? What all do you use? I really just cut off the very end that looks like that little bit of root end, just Mm -hmm. because I know mycopia grows them in jars. So they have kind of a line there and I cut Mm -hmm. that off, but they're basically growing them in jars. uh, So they have all the the growing media in the jar and then they, you know, whatever size they get. But the cool thing about those, uh, they're really kind of big and chunky. Um, Mm -hmm. One, if you cut them straight across, they're like an imitation scallop. So you can cook them a little bit like that for those that don't eat scallops. And you can brown them on either side. And whatever kind of scallop preparation you have, they would be great for that. But I also like to um, cut them in half and put them on the grill. So good. They, they're they just oh, wonderful. Yeah. I've also done like a roasted them, uh, cut in half like that. and then put them in like a, a stew. So they're like big chunks. I like uh, when I'm using mushrooms to see that they look like they're a mushroom. So right. don't hide them by chopping them really small or whatever. Right. <laughs> I like I like the big chunks. So if I'm doing like a, a big, I have one recipe. It's in one of those books. Uh, it's uh, got tomatillos and roasted chilies and pork. And uh, I put dried porcini in it, and then I put those those trumpets in it. So you get like, they're big chunks, like the size of the pieces of the meat. And there, I think there's potatoes in there too. It's a really great oh. stew and oh, yeah. very flavorful, but there, you know, you get a real bite of it, you know? So uh, it just depends on the mushroom, but 
each one, I try to make it emphasize, you know, what it is and that it's oh, that's wonderful. really yummy. <laughs> oh, that, sound, that sounds heavenly. Okay, so talking about porcini, we ha- I have very fond memory because we were traveling, gosh, a million years ago, and we happened to be on Lake Como in a little town of Lecco, and it was in the fall, and there was an international mushroom festival. And it was just incredible. I've never seen such an amazing array of mushrooms. And so such an education on the poisonous ones and the medicinal ones and the, the edible ones. I mean, it was, it was fabulous. But it also happened to be porcini season. And I mean, you just go in just, it was a heady, perfumey. It was just the most incredible aroma. And Every restaurant had their porcini specialties, and then you'd go into these other shops that had all the dried porcini. So, of course, I did come home with bags of dried porcini, but I never see porcini in any of our markets. So, Is that right? No. I mean, on very rare occasion, I have not seen them here in North Carolina. In Texas, there was kind of a gourmet grocery store chain called um, uh, Central Market, and on very rare occasion, they would have them, but not on a regular basis. I can find them dried. So why are they not commercially grown? Uh, Well, they cannot be. So that I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, where? Remember what I said? They they have that mycorrhizal association, so they have a relationship with the trees. So um, they only grow in certain places. So you may have to come out and visit me because they grow here. <laughs> so um, I'll be packing my bags. <laughs> there you go. So we have we have uh, some that grow in the fall in the on the coast, and then we have a different species that grows in the spring up in the Sierra foothills when the snow is melting. Uh, so we have those as well. But um, why they don't have them where you are, I'm sorry. That's really sad. <laughs> um, it is really sad. Yeah. So what I like, uh, fresh, obviously, are wonderful. But uh, once you, ha- there are certain mushrooms that do really well with drying. So in my mind, I felt like I can't buy a dehydrator until I collect enough mushrooms to make it worthwhile. (laughs) So then (laughs) I finally felt like, okay, I finally picked enough. I can have one at my house. So now I have a dehydrator. But the interesting thing about porcini is that as they age, they get more intense in flavor and aroma. So I have some like 10-year-old dried porcini in a jar at my house and they smell like chocolate. They get this really rich, dark flavor and aroma that's pretty amazing. So not only should you have them, but you should store them so you can have different ages of them for various things that you're making. And again, when you rehydrate them, you can use that liquid as part of your broth. So if you were making a cream of mushroom soup, you could use that rehydration water as the base along with those mushrooms, right? So Mm -hmm. I made a bechamel for this lasagna I made a a week ago, and I actually rehydrated the porcini in the milk that I made the bechamel with. So, you know, you get, not only do you get like the mushroom thing, but you get like double mushroom because you get 
the actual pieces of mushroom in there, but you also rehydrated it in the liquid you're making the sauce out of. So oh, yeah, good stuff. Everything. But as far as where you could get it, um, we're we've been talking about putting some kind of marketplace um, page on the NAMA website so that people would know where to buy things. Um, oh, that would be awesome. So, yeah, so we're working on doing that. But um, I wonder if you went into your market and said, I really want dried portini, could they figure out a way to do that for you? Or for you? I don't well, dry, dry portini I can find. Okay. It's the fresh. Yeah. Uh, well, the fresh, the fresh are, are basically something that's um, by season. So mm -hmm. it, it might be that you can only get them in the fall because that's when they grow. So right. uh, you might check with the, the produce department in your store because um, they, at least for us, they grow in like November, roughly speaking. Yeah. So then occasionally I know people that sell to the local restaurants and they sell fresh mushrooms. And so I can call them up and say, I really need some truffle butter <laughs> or I really need some fresh portini. So that's what I did a week ago. And they, they've, people have started picking them this spring. Well, you've, you've got connections. I have connections. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that I think there's, there, there are ways to get it, but also understand that it only, it only has a very short season. So right, to get them right. fresh, you can't get them year round. You right. can only, well, so. one, th one thing I know that you had, um, I don't know whether I saw this in one of the videos that you have done uh -huh. um, and, and all these things, everybody, I'll put the links for her videos that she's done, uh, the cookbooks that she's contributed recipes to, all that will be available on the website. So you can, you can dig deeper and find out all these good things. But it seemed like in, in one of those places that you had talked about taking the dregs of the dried mushrooms and grinding them and using them as a little powder to sprinkle Absolutely. on sticks. Okay, so um, out here we have uh, candy cap mushrooms that you've probably never heard of, but candy caps, uh, when they're fresh, they smell a little bit like um, like fenugreek or, or curry powder kind of a mm -hmm. smell. And then when they're dried, they have a reaction and they taste, they smell and smell and taste like maple syrup. So uh, wow. people regularly use them in ice cream and cookies and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that candy cap mushroom, I took some the other day, put them in my coffee grinder, obviously clean the coffee out <laughs> and <laughs> I put them in the coffee grinder and then made a candy cap sugar. And when I made scones and I made uh, scones and blueberry muffins. I sprinkled that candy cap sugar on the top of the those pastries before I baked them. And then the whole pastry tasted like maple syrup. And that was all from the mushroom itself. Pretty good. But oh, uh, that's fantastic. If you wow. can, so you can uh, people sell them dried. Um, they're kind of expensive. I mean, like a couple hundred dollars a pound or something. But you only need a few ounces. Right. <laughs> so I think to make uh, a cup of handicap sugar, we use six mushrooms. It wasn't very oh, much. Wow. Um, and they're small. But if you had porcini and you put dried porcini into your coffee grinder, you could then have a candy cap powder. 
So one, right. I'm sorry, porcini powder. Porcini. So once you have your porcini powder, I have this in my kitchen at all times. Uh, so you can sprinkle it with your salt and pepper uh, and porcini powder on a steak or on a roast and then cook it as you normally would. And it just adds what we call in wine world, umami. Right. And it gives this sort of earthy um, quality to your food that it doesn't have on its own. So it's a really um. nice thing for putting on a roast. But here's what I also do is I make popcorn and I put Parmesan and porcini powder and salt and toss it in the popcorn while it's still hot. And wow, oh, that's, that's really good. <laughs> oh, that sounds heavenly. Well, Julie, I, we're going to have to wrap it up for the moment. But when we come back, Julie is going to talk to us about this yummy, yummy recipe that she's willing to share and will be on the website. And it is a leek and mushroom galette. And it just sounds fabulous. So we're going to take one more little break and then we'll come back with a recipe that you all will want to be making. love living in the mountains of western North Carolina in this wonderful place known as Hendersonville. The scenery is gorgeous. The beauty of the Blue Ridge Mountains is all around us. The climate is perfect. The people are warm and friendly, and there's so much to do. There are waterfalls to explore, all types of outdoor recreation, a fantastic food scene, lots of vineyards and breweries to enjoy. If you're looking to buy in this area, I know who can help you find your slice of paradise. My friend Brian Bird, realtor with B Squared Realty in Hendersonville, North Carolina, is committed to excellence. We know from personal experience that Brian provides consistent communication, extensive knowledge of the home buying and selling markets. He listens to your wants and needs and has a community connection that can't be beat. If you want to buy or sell in the Hendersonville area, please reach out to Brian Bird at hendorealtor.com. That's hendorealtor.com. He really is the best. Okay, we're back. So, Julie, talk to me about this yummy, yummy recipe. Yeah. Well, where should we start? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So, it's a leek and mushroom galette. So, basically, this is just kind of a, a rustic tart. So, it has a dough base, like a pastry. Yes. And then you have a filling. Right. So, I know you said there's a lot to be said about the pastry itself. So talk to me. So, okay. So the first thing uh, I think I mentioned a little bit ago was making the filling ahead. So in the recipe I gave you, I said you could use the alba clamshell, the brown clamshell, uh, shiitakes, uh, Bian Neberdino, Bianco, et cetera. But you really, um, in the Modern Forager cookbook, I think I used uh, some wild mushrooms instead. What I did a week ago was I took the clamshell mushrooms and then I rehydrated black trumpets and uh, yellowfoot, which is a winter chanterelle, and I mm -hmm. mixed all, all four mushrooms together. So you can decide what mushroom you want. Um, you can go as exotic or not as you want to. But um, So roast those and have them completely cooked. And then I, tossed, I also sauteed the leeks 
And then I tossed it with the creme fraiche and the Dijon mustard and the uh, thyme. And I mixed all that stuff together and I made it the night before. So then oh, it yeah. was cooled off. Because uh, really, when you were working with pie dough, you don't want to put anything hot into your pie dough. So uh, just as a general thing. But when you're making uh, this particular pastry, if you look at the recipe, it's got um, flour, cornmeal, Parmesan, uh, and butter, and ice water, and, and thyme, and black pepper. Really, yeah. it's a quite a nice dough. And it's got, because of that cornmeal, it's got a little bit of a texture Extra. on your teeth. So uh, as you, if you were making a pie dough, which is basically what this is, you have your flour and your dry ingredients, and then you have uh, the butter. And I like to pulse it in a food processor. That's way so easier, easy. Right. Yeah. But you could, you could do it by hand or, you know, two knives or, or a pastry cutter or whatever, but sure. you're trying to get those like pea sized pieces of butter. You know, they always talk about right. that in all those old yes. cookbooks, <laughs> the same idea. And then you have your ice in the water and you add you know, decide maybe it says like four to six tablespoons of ice water. So start with your four and pulse it in the food processor. And if it doesn't look like it's starting to come together, add the other two tablespoons, but kind of assess it. And then um, you take all of that. And I basically took it and put it in a gallon Ziploc bag. And then you kind mm -hmm. of, um, kind of, let it come together. You're trying to not work it too much. You don't want to develop right. gluten really, but you want to right. get it until everything's kind of assembled into one piece and then yes. put it in the fridge. <laughs> and, okay. But if you really wanted to, you could make it way ahead and freeze it and then take it out and put it in your refrigerator. Um, you just want the pastry cold and you want it to rest at least a half an hour. And then you can roll it out pretty thin. I don't know. Um, Somewhere, somewhere in that eighth to a quarter inch kind of thickness. Sure. Kind of. What's the magic of the chilling? So uh, the secret to a really flaky pastry mm -hmm. is having those little pieces of butter mixed into the flour mixture. And then uh, when you're actually baking it, the action is the steam coming off the mm -hmm. butter makes that pastry really flaky. So if you have dough that isn't cold, you're not going to get that steaming action because it's, it, there's an, it has to be from a cold state to the heat of the oven, right? So Got the it. colder the dough is, um, the better the pastry will be. So um, you've rolled your dough out. Um, remember, it's a galette, so it's a free form tart. Love that. So <laughs> look like anything you want. It doesn't have to be, it's not like a perfect round. It's, you know, it's pretty free form. So you've got uh, that dough rolled out. You put um, a little bit of that Gruyere cheese down. Then you put your filling and you put more Gruyere cheese on top. Fold your dough to kind of make it look nice. Besides this, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, you can see I'm making lots of hand gestures here. <laughs> Uh, and, then and, I and I'm following it. Yeah, and then I sprinkle uh, Parmesan on top of that. I egg wash the whole outside. So you get kind of a nice golden brown. Then back into the freezer. So you've been working this dough. You've been getting all your ingredients in there. 
and it's now it's a bit warm. So before you bake it, really put it back into the freezer. So before you've made this thing, make sure your cookie sheet fits fit. <laughs> <laughs> into either your freezer or your fridge. But um, so what I did the other day is I think I, I put it into the refrigerator because I had a little bit more time. So, you know, I had, I made three at one time and I had to figure out how to fit three of them in the refrigerator. But if you have less time, put it in the freezer and because then you could wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But you really want to make sure it's cold, cold. And very, then you very go cold. into that hot oven. But then when the pastry is cold and it goes in that hot oven, you really get that nice action of this steam being created from the butter and all those little pockets throughout the whole dough. And it just makes it super flaky. So oh, and then, yeah. uh, if you don't know how even your oven is, um, this is a challenge for everybody. <laughs> yes. But what you can do, if you really want to understand your oven, is take a cookie sheet and put several pieces of bread on it and put it in there and toast your bread and see if all of them have the same color on that sheet pan. And then you'll know, oh, that back corner is always hotter because that one back corner burns and this other corner, it never gets any color at all. Now you understand the unevenness of your oven, right? So that's wonderful, right? So you, now that you understand how your oven works, what you do is as it's baking, maybe you go from the top shelf to the bottom shelf or you rotate front to back, Your pan, but keep that in mind. So if it's a, 35 or 40 minute total baking time, maybe at 15 minutes, I will rotate. And maybe again, when I'm another 10 minutes later, I'll do the other rotation. So I'm trying to make, take into account that that oven's not even, I'm making it even by rotating. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Everybody needs to know that. (laughs) I, I have actually done that kind of trick on my grill because some, somebody said, just get cheap biscuits and throw, throw them out there on the grill and see which ones burn up and which ones don't. And it was, exactly. it was pretty yeah, so eye-opening. You, you start to understand why people rotate. <laughs> they, exactly. You're like, why are they messing with it so much? And that's why. Because the evenness is not there. So you create the evenness. Yeah. Well, I cannot, I cannot wait to try this recipe. So since you are also the wine goddess, ah. what, wine, <laughs> what wine would you serve with this? Um, you know, I, this time of year, I'd probably go rosé. <laughs> but because um, it's got the earthiness, but it's also got all that cheese. Uh, you could probably get away even with like a Pinot Noir. But not, you know, I just don't think I would go all the way to something super big and, and mm-hmm. over the top, you know? So I, pro- I don't think I would do a cab or anything that big. I would go with something a little bit lighter. Um, but I think the, the acidity of the rosé would go nicely with, you know, cause you got all that cheese and creme fraiche in there. Um, so you want something to kind of counterbalance all that richness. Um, oh, the other thing so I would yummy. say is, uh, you know, you're making sure that it's golden brown on the top and also underneath it. So you can kind of see the edge of, of how it's doing underneath. And um, when I made them the other day, I you let it rest and to cool off and then take some kind of uh, spatula to make sure it's mm-hmm. not sticking. 
So, because uh, it sometimes, because of that cheese, it will stick to the pan. But just okay. carefully loosen it, and then you can put it on, take it from there and put it onto a cookie sheet, and then you can cut it in wedges. And uh, really great then, really great the following morning as breakfast. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, so I'm saying you can eat it at room temperature or you can have it warm. Either way is oh, really fine. And if you decide you haven't eaten it all, um, I tend to not ever put pastry into the refrigerator because they tend to stale from that. So right. um, I will leave it out and just wrap it up. And then you can have it the following morning. But you could also, you know, put it in the toaster in the morning to warm it up a little bit. But so good. <laughs> oh, good. Well, you're so sweet to share the recipe and all your information about mushrooms. We have just scratched the surface. So I hope you will consider being a guest again. Sure. I think there's so much more to explore. And get ready when it's porcini season. I'm coming to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And then you can you you can come visit me here and go hen of the woods hunting. So there you go. That'd be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone, I hope you have enjoyed as much as I have listening and chatting with Julie today. This has been so wonderful. She has a great website. It is Shay Julie C H E Z Shay Julie S dot com, and she's got wonderful information there. I'll put her bio information. All kinds of information on my website so that you can go and look and see more about her as well. But hopefully this will be the first of many opportunities we'll have you on, Julie, because I think you're just you're just my girlfriend down the street. You just happen <laughs> to be about umpteen thousand miles away. But hopefully, hopefully it'll feel like you're just next door and we'll get to get more opportunity to visit later. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. And again, you know, mushrooms. They're all the right ingredients. You got to have them in your kitchen and now you know. So take care, everyone. We'll see you for the next time. And Julie, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.